We've been, we've been in the book of Hebrews for a long time. And today we come to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. To me, they are so fraught. They're so fraught with truth. And there is so much here that draws upon everything that's being said for 11 chapters. No way that we can in the time we have available to us. There's no way that we could begin to plumb everything. And some of it actually only shows up if we were to, if we were to look into the original language and we're not going to take the time to do that. Therefore, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We've been pushing to get to these verses, that verse in particular, for this time that we're going to spend in the Word. Or, or a little bit later, we're going to spend around the Lord's table. For, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, that you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. As we have gone through the book of Hebrews, there have been a number of different places where I said that the writer is writing to a group of people who are in distress. And we're getting little hints of here and there and there and how he is trying to encourage them to hold on in that distress. That's why we've entitled the entire series and our entire study of the book of Hebrews is Timeless Certainties for Uncertain Times. And this particular verse, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, is kind of a statement that, that, that gives us that understanding that, yes, they are resisting, but it hasn't been to bloodshed yet. They are in difficult times without a doubt. But it's not the worst that could possibly be, and he's encouraging them to hang on. Backing up to verse 1, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, chapter 11 laid out this great cloud of witnesses. We spent three weeks looking at chapter 11. We could, if we wanted to go look back to the historical context to what everything in chapter 11 was referring to, we could easily have spent six months to a year just looking through all that it was referring to. But we took a rather quick pass through it, and we highlighted a few things from it as Old Testament character after Old Testament character after Old Testament character was set forth as ones who had walked by faith. The entire chapter is by faith so-and-so did this. By faith so-and-so 
did that. By faith, this happened. And we drew from that as there were some secondary comments or interpretive comments, we, we pointed out that faith points us in a new direction. Faith pleases the Father and faith prioritizes our thinking. All these examples from the Old Testament and having laid them all out for us, the writer now gives us this summary statement. Therefore, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is before us. The last couple months have reminded me and helped me understand perhaps even this passage as I've been engaged in people's lives on a very personal basis. And there's one individual who I spoke with briefly yesterday because I didn't have time to speak long. He said, make sure you talk to me tomorrow during the, sometime around the worship service. Because I understand that there's some enduring going on. In fact, it's kind of interesting in these verses that this concept of enduring shows up three times. Verse 1, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, Christ, uh, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. In verse 3, first consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. And this idea of endurance is not only in these three verses, but it is much of what the writer to Hebrews is saying we're going to need to do. The word literally means to remain under. Remain under. Okay. We're going we're gonna to deal with things. And to, we, sometimes we're going to deal with them for a time. So anyways, this individual that I ran in yesterday said, hey, glad to bump into you. I was going to call him. I didn't have to because ran into them. Make sure you talk to me tomorrow because I wanted to go a little further with what was, uh, what I know that is being endured at this point. So looking forward to seeing them today. I got this text message. Sorry, man, not going to make it. Bad day. I think we'd be surprised if we understood how severe and how many of us are experiencing bad days from time to time. We like to try and create this image that within the body of Christ here, we're all happy because we're trusting Jesus and everything is good and everything is light and everything is fun and there are no problems. That just ain't true, friends. There are times, and I, I feel badly because I've always you know, went into pastoral ministry thinking that uh, what I'm going to be able to do is solve all people's problems once I understand what Scripture says and I apply it to people's lives. And, you know, I'm going to be that pastor who, man, here it is. You've got some tough times. Here's your answer. Go for it. You'll be fine. Yeah, guess what I found? It's not that simple. And sometimes we're called to endure. 
we may be called to endure physical issues that afflict us for short or long periods of time. We may be called to endure financial setbacks for a time. We may be called to endure the deep infliction of wounds from others. And we try and understand, now God, how am I supposed to process this? Where do I put this? Or we may be called to endure loss, which seems actually quite unjust, the loss that comes our way. The perhaps the most significant and painful, and there are a number of people represented within our congregation, is people who are called to endure the loss of a child. How do you deal with that? What's the simple, smiley, fun, pat Christian answer for that one? As I guarantee you, there isn't one. Is there, Vernon? There's no pat answer for that that helps. And so, the scripture speaks of us being able to endure. Well, how do we do that? It's such a non-satisfactory response from me as a pastor who wants to solve all problems for people. Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And that cloud of witnesses, as we considered them, you will recall, some had magnificent victory as they trusted God by faith. And some never saw victory at all. And they were the victims of severe and torturous persecution. And they appeared to lose for having walked by faith. But all were held up to us as shining examples of how we live. This cloud of witnesses around us who lived out their faith life regardless of what the earthly circumstances looked like. And we were exhorted. Lay aside every weight the word means wait. Those things are going to slow us down because throws out the idea of we're going to, and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You've probably all heard the name of Roger Bannister. Roger Bannister was the first sub-four-minute miler. He accomplished that back in 1954. Prior to that, there was a length of time there when you know, the physiologists of, of, of mankind and who do the running in the medical world and the sports people said it was impossible. It would be impossible for a human being ever to run a four-minute mile. But with training and nutrition and greater knowledge, eventually Roger Bannister was the first to do it. Forty-six days later, it was done again. And it's commonplace now that people are running four-minute miles. But that one guy 
who broke that time made it seem possible for others to do it and to go even significantly further than he did with breaking that mile. We are surrounded in the Old Testament. We're surrounded by these people who we've been introduced to who all endured. Some until they saw victory, some never saw the victory. All were considered victors because they endured in faith. So we run this race first setting aside the weight that so easily besets it. That is whatever. Whatever it is that's in our life, not necessarily bad things, but things that are going to get in the way of a vibrant, dynamic walk with Jesus Christ that will allow us to draw upon him. We take assessment of our lives and we go, you know, this is not helping me. It's got to go. That simply consumes a lot of my time, brings no profit to my life, no value to my experience with Jesus Christ, regardless of how fun it is, it's got to go. And we just shed these things to lighten our weight. Guarantee you, those guys who are running four-minute miles, they've got as light of equipment as possible in order to reach that time. They're not doing it with weight belts on and backpacks. And the writer says, get rid of those things that are going to be a problem to you. Even though they may not be bad, be honest enough to go, getting in the way of my life. Getting in the way of the, the course that God has set for me. That's number one. And then number two, and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Fascinating word in the original language. It's actually a three-part word. You've heard me deal with these before. And the three parts to the word are good, around, and established or placed. Those things right, which are really well surrounding you and establishing you so that they ensnare you. They're really good at doing that. And it's called the sin, which so easily surrounds us, wraps us up, and fights against us. It ensnares us. One individual, what brought to their mind was this idea of strong, powerful uh, individuals or peoples or an army surrounding us that uh, always is out for our, our destruction. I, something else came to my mind when I looked at that word in the original language. All I could think of was a constrictor. Do you know what a, you, you know there's, there's different types of deadly snakes, right? There's poisonous snakes. Okay, they just bite you and inject a venom into you and you die 10 minutes later uh, because you start breathing fast because, oh, no, I've been bit by a snake and that causes the poison to go quicker through your bloodstream and eventually out you go. All right. That takes a little longer than the constrictors. What a constrictor will do is it will, it will coil itself around its victim. And it just stays tighter on the victim. Does not allow its victim to expand its rib cage. And so every time there's a little bit of give in the rib cage, it squeezes tighter and tighter and tighter. It can never take a breath. And it just suffocates it. 
than eats it. That to me is what this word brings to mind. It's what sin does to us. It wants to wrap around us tighter and tighter and tighter and kill us. And the writer says, get rid of that. That thing that is killing you. The thing which is not necessarily bad, that's the weight. You don't need that. That's going to make your path difficult. The sin that is killing you, that is a problem. It's its own thing that you need to go, nope, can't have that in my life. And then run the race with endurance now. You're set free from these things. Now run with endurance the race set before you. But that's not the end of the instruction. Got to get rid of this stuff. Then it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I wish I had time to take you to those same two words, author and finisher, that were used in chapter 2. It's just kind of an interesting observation. No way we can do it right here. He's the author and finisher. And I've noticed in my translation, and it's correct, the word our is in italics. It means it's not actually there in the original language. What is there is a definite article. So it would be just as adequate to translate this, the author and finisher of the faith, or if you drop it all together, of faith. And the author being the one who began, the progenitor, the one who is the first to do it, where it was used of Jesus before, we said, you know, it's kind of like a, another term you could use, a pioneer. He's the pioneer. He's the one who went first. And he's the one who saw through to the end. And so he is another witness. He is the ultimate witness. But when we think about him being the author, the pioneer of faith, it might cause us to tend to think in terms of his earthly existence. Yeah, he lived a life that we could visibly see and read about. And there were people, you know, who said that which we have seen and heard, which we have touched, which, uh, which we have handled. This he physically was in our presence. But I think to start his authorship of faith there is much too late. Where did he begin by faith this task of being the one who would save us? I think you have to at least minimally carry it back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Where? When Adam and Eve had sinned. It was prophesied, God foretold that the seed of the woman, that is Christ who ultimately came, would crush the head of the, 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 head of the serpent, but his heel would be bruised. I believe minimally the faith journey began there before he was ever incarnated, knowing that when he took on flesh, this is the end. This is nothing that took him by surprise. This is something that he willingly set aside his glory, his privileges and glory, Philippians 2 tells us. He laid it aside, he emptied himself, and he took upon himself the form of a servant. Became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He knew what he was getting into when he gave up his prerogatives of being known and understood in his deity, and he took on human flesh. So as the author... It began way before, I believe, anything. We probably even know when to guess when it would have been as God was 
working out this eternal plan of salvation. But he's the author and finisher who for the joy that was set before him, looking past the cross, looking past what he was going to suffer, looking past the ordeal of what it meant to be the sin bearer for you and for me. See, that's what chapter 11 encouraged us to understand. When we looked at those opening verses about faith, and what we tried to communicate is faith has the capacity to take that, that hope which is ours, way in the future and bring it right in front of us so that I can see it, I can feel it, I can taste it, I can know its reality and I can live according to it. That there is a hope that there is a promise, that there is an inheritance, that there is a God who will be waiting for me in glory. He's what matters, not this earthly existence. That's, we said, that's what we live for. We're not living to come out of this thing alive because we know we're not. We're living with a future hope. And Jesus understood what particularly for him was in front of him, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He remained under it. He knew the end. And by knowing the end, it enabled him by faith to walk through the present. Didn't mean it was fun, people, because notice that it says, despising the shame. He didn't enjoy it. Didn't think, oh, goody, goody gum grabs. I'm going to have great things happening soon. While that shame was upon him, he despised it. There was no joy in his being when he, in the depths of that sacrifice on our behalf, when he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sometimes we have great shame that is identified with that which we endure. The evil one is, is great at placing shame upon us, even at places where it's not even called for. And he will, he will use this stuff that we're going through, that we're needing to endure. He will use it to say, you should be better than this. despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That takes us all the way back to the very first chapter. It's the restatement of the very first chapter. For consider him, consider carefully, think about this, look to him. For consider him who endured such hostilities from sinners against himself. Notice that statement. While he hung on the cross, he who knew no sin put there at the hands of a, the leaders of a, of a religious system that wanted him out of the way, the leaders of a political system that wanted him out of the way, they were both involved. While they 
in their pride and arrogance think they have solved a problem that they found to be a nuisance? He is there at the hands of his own killers. And by the way, we share in that. Let's not fool ourselves to think that if we were in their positions of power, we'd have done it any different. We would not. He's there because of all of us. And this one who knew no sin is there to take on our sin at the hands of powerful and vile sinners who determined it was time to get him out of the way. Such hostility from sinners against himself. The contrast between those two is so extravagant, if you will. Creator God incarnate of the universe, creator God of the universe, incarnate in human flesh, came, reveals the Father to us, never committed, did anything wrong in his life, put to death at the hands of those who hated him and claimed to be doing God's work. Contemplating that is enough just to keep us thinking for a long, long time. He says, consider this, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. See, that's, that's what we're like. Enduring isn't fun. I want a solution now. I want answers now. I want God to deliver this from me now. I want God to deliver it from my brothers and sisters now who are in pain. who hurt so badly that they can't even get to church. I want that deliverance now. And God says, sometimes I'm asking you in your journey to endure with patience. Hold up. Look to me. I will see you through. Yeah, but Lord, that seems impossible. I did it already myself. So let me be your ultimate witness to the fact it can be done. And I will strengthen you. And I will see you through it. Honestly, friends, when I went through my darkest time, that would have sounded like absolute fluff to me. And that's what frightens me in saying it. But somehow God, by his grace, held on to me. At times, the only prayer I could pray was, God, don't give up on me. I was so desperate. And he did not. And I can look back now and see, yes, he brought me through it. My friends, I don't know what you're having to endure today. I wish there was some simple, quick, fast answer for it. But I know there's a number, probably dozens here today, who are needing to hold up to remain under something that is very, very difficult. That's why Jesus came. He came, one, to bear our sin so we can get out of this mess called this broken world. And two, in the process, he was an example to us of what faith looks like. Always looking that we live for something more than this world. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Oh my, what a magnificent truth. We invite you to join us as we come to the Lord's table here.
It's a, a remembrance of just that, that Christ endured on our behalf. He despised the shame of what took place that Passover, that day of Passover when he was the Paschal Lamb and bore the sin of the world. We invite you to share in these elements if, and I want to be, I just want to be honest, I just, I'm not trying to be exclusionary. I am an includer. I love everybody to participate. But the elements that will be distributed are, are the elements that are distributed and shared by anyone here who already has come to a place where they recognize that Jesus Christ has died for them. And they have embraced that and they have called out to him and said, Lord, I need you. You're my only hope and I need you. The elements are for those. If you are not at that place yet, there's no condemnation of you. There's no criticism of you. I encourage you to just consider why. Let the elements pass, but consider why have I not yet? What is restraining me from, from, from receiving the greatest gift that there's ever been? from receiving that which God wants to work into my life so he can pull me out of this broken world where often we're just called to endure. And perhaps this would be the day when you would recognize it's not worth waiting any longer and you would say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. I want you to be my Savior. And he will. He will. Consider him, friends. As he, as we consider how he went to the cross for us.